Good morning. I almost forgot my Bible. <laughs> uh, good to see you. Uh, my name is Andrew, um, and uh, it's, uh, it's great to be with you this morning. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, um, and I want to ask for your grace ahead of time. I do this sometimes just when, you know, I have a really lousy sermon to give. So I make up a thing, and then you feel bad for me, and then you lower your expectations. Uh, just kidding. Uh, mostly just kidding. Uh, no, I've just been really sick all week, um, and uh, I don't need anyone to feel bad for me so much as I would just appreciate your prayers. Uh, I feel better, um, but I'm like running on empty. It was like three days of n- non-restful sick. Any of you men out there know it? I just heard this phrase recently, know what a man cold is? Any of you? I don't mean to be like too stereotypical in terms of gender, but anyone knows a man cold? Yeah, a man cold, I've been told by my um, wife and other, other strong women in my life, is uh, not actual sickness. Uh, but, you know, but, oh, but honey, it's like we revert, you know, and all of this, like, it just, I need to curl up and will you take care of me? And, like, you know, bring me ginger ale and toast, even though you don't really need ginger ale and toast. It's just flashbacks to mom bringing you something, you know. Uh, anyone else, like, have a spouse or a friend that's like this? Or you are that person? Yeah. So I'm like this. I turn into, like, such a baby, and I love it. I'm not, a, like, ashamed of it. I mean, I get into it. Anyway, needless to say, uh, this last week has not been that kind of sick. Uh, it's been actually legitimately awesome. So uh, I, would, I would covet truly if a few of you would just um, be willing to just pray for me as I, as I share um, uh, so I can get through this. And, and I'm really excited about, I shouldn't say get through this, I'm really excited about this text today because uh, the little snippet of this larger story um, that was just read in Philippians 3, I know it's funny, we just spent like half a year in Philippians last year and we're coming back to it. It just shows the absolute depth and brilliance of the word of God. Um, but uh, this text is a narrative uh, about a man's radical pursuit of God. Uh, this gentleman, Paul, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Apostle Paul. If you're brand new to church, he wrote a significant chunk of the New Testament. Uh, and he writes these letters uh, to these different churches. Uh, he writes these letters to kind of networks of churches that are forming. Sometimes it's to encourage them. Sometimes it's to call them out. Um, but what we see in, in the second half of the New Testament is what it looked like to see, like, what, what were the first people that began to flush out the way of Jesus? So we, we put, like, a, a really special uh, attentiveness and weight uh, and authority on the early church, not because they had it all together. Sometimes when people say, like, we want to be, like, a, an early church, like a New Testament church, I go, I, I have no desire in most ways to be that. I mean, they were so broken. Half of Corinthians is all about, like, just incest going on and, like, absolute wreckage financially. People are like, yeah, the early church, like, no, I, I just like to be a healthy church. Um, but that's what I love about the scriptures is there aren't any punches pulled. This isn't, if someone were trying to, to put together a document of propaganda for the way of Christianity, they did a really bad job on a number of levels. You have whole books of doubting God and you have books wrestling with trying to make sense. You have accounts that are differing because there's all these different emotions that are coming out of different writers and recalling different aspects. It is not a nice, tight, and compact book. And if anything, that speaks to the reality of of what uh, is so powerful about the word of God. 
And so these early churches, uh, we, we see all of their warts and we see all of their wins. And so this guy, Paul, was somebody who was persecuting Christians. This guy, Paul, was somebody who was out there. I mean, he was, he was in so many ways what we see with ISIS. Uh, I mean, just he was somebody who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, was, he saw this early Christian movement as an affront to everything he believed about the world and he was going to do his best to root them out. So this is the, the guy who's writing this, uh, this account in Philippians 3. And so I actually want to take a minute and we're going to return to this text. Uh, I didn't want to give the weight of all of that on her to read. But I want to read a little bit more to give you some context around what's happening. Um, and, uh, and hopefully what we're going to experience today um, is the next step in becoming the sort of people that uh, we talk about, these Easter people in that trailer. We're doing this, this series out of Easter of what does it look like to be Easter people, people of life, people who are living in light of the resurrection, which for us as Christians, if you're brand new to the church, this is simply an acknowledgement that we actually believe that death in some really profound way has been defeated, that we have no fear in death, uh, we trust in a way that I know it's really hard to believe that Jesus is actually ruling and reigning and the way in which his kingdom advances is not through force and not through coercion, but through the washing of feet and through the loving of your enemies and through the way of the cross. And so we actually believe that the most radical form of Christianity centers itself around the empty tomb. And so we're going to talk a lot. This word radical is actually going to come up a lot, the radical pursuit, how radical Paul was. Um, a radical, the root of the word is actually, it, it means root, like radish is where you get the word from. It's a, a, what is the root, the core elements. And what's fascinating, when people talk about radicalized faith or radicalized ideology, right, radical secularism, I can sit here and give a whole lecture on what radical secularism, radical humanism, like the end goal of believing that this is all that there is, radical Islam or radical, we could go down the list, almost every time there is a deep negative connotation because it, it somehow means negating like what's realistic. Like it, it's, it, it's not being um, even-handed. It's taking it too seriously. It's taking it too far. It's being too intense. Whatever kind of thing you would put on the word radical, right? How many usually hear radical in like a really good sense? But what's interesting is if you were to take and just trust the most radical teachings of Jesus, radicalized Christianity isn't the Crusades, Radicalized Christianity isn't like the faith being used to manipulate and hurt people. That's actually really heretical and isn't consistent with the way of Jesus. If you were going to be a radicalized Christian, you would love your enemy. You would die for the other. You would serve. You would give all that you could and would for, for, the, for the poor. You would be somebody who would be in deep prayer following and looking to follow the way of Jesus, which is furthering this kingdom, which is a kingdom of peace, we're told. So radicalized Christianity is actually something that I believe that the reason why folks outside the church, when they look at a Christian community and they go, man, you guys, I expect more from you. I expect more from you. I think this is a core longing. I think when people see radicalized Christianity, they go, that in some way speaks to the way we are all hardwired to be. That's my really long preface into this word radical that we're going to get into. Because if we are going to be people who are raising life, if we're going to be people who are looking around our city and looking at our homes, if we're going to be people who are engaging in our friendships and in the everyday, the monotony of everyday life, and going, what does it mean for me to live in light of the resurrection? What does it mean for me to be a life giver, 
to, to support and raise up the good, true, and beautiful in a culture that promotes so much death. We actually need to be people to understand, like, who is the life giver? Like, who is the life raiser? And what does it look like for us to, to actually know um, the source of that? So last week, we talked about what are the dead things inside of you? And Sunday is going to be a day that we commit to fight for the raising of life in our own hearts. And so today, I want to talk about, okay, so, so what then is that source? How do we become radical pursuers of this God who wants to show us as we look around our city, as we look around our homes, how we raise life there. So before we get to those practical things, which will be kind of our last four weeks of our series, what is the like missional component of going out there and being people of justice and beauty and creativity and love and generosity for our world, we have to ask, okay, I wanna actually make sure I, I'm, I'm seeking the right thing. Um, so, that all sound great? That was like the longest intro to a sermon ever. You guys here? Yeah, can I get an amen? Cool. Even if you didn't mean it, I just need it. Uh, so turn with me if you have your Bibles. I apologize I don't have uh, slides up on the screen today. Uh, but Philippians 3. If you want to just leave that open and I'm going to kind of jump back and forth to this. So, as I told you, Paul persecuting the church. I'm going to start in verse 6. I know it's a little random. Uh, but just to kind of jump in and give you some of the highlights. And then we're going to outline basically four big ideas of what it means to radically pursue God. As for zeal, Paul's saying, I, I've been the most zealous. Persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having it a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. And the passage we just read, not that I've already obtained this, so I'm striving for something, but not that I've already attained this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take a view of such things. And he goes on from there. We'll get back to that. Four big ideas of what it means to radically pursue God. This account is a personal and historical picture of what it means to choose or to, to pursue God. So first off is vision. First big idea, vision. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost. He says, consider the, like, I consider everything else garbage. Paul is somebody who has this encounter. Again, if you're new to the scriptures, I was trying to update you as I go. Paul has this unbelievable encounter with Jesus. This, like, moment on the road where his name is called. Many of us, um, I, I think, so often think, when we, we think of a vision of what it means to, to be a Christian, Especially those of you, there's a lot of folks here who are just exploring God, exploring Christianity, trying to make sense of what that means, or you've become a follower of Jesus. And there's this, I found over and over again a perception that I need to mute my passions 
and mute my drive when I become a Christian. That somehow I need to become like stoic and sober, right? This is like the view of religiosity. We look even around this room and there's something about it culturally that tells us like, chill out, be still. You know, you don't have a dance party in here. Although, can I just tell you really quick, we've had like total fantasy sequences, taking out all these pews and then having a DJ booth up there. Like seriously, how incredible would that be? Like to come and party in in an old church like this? Anyone? For maybe like $30,000, we could make this happen. So if anyone wants donations, missional, I think it'd be amazing. Anyway, we don't think of that. We think of of almost a stoicism. And nothing could be further from the truth, especially when we look at the person of Paul. Um, He does not end and surrender his passion or his ambition in any way. We are creatures of passion and desire. The vision that Paul has of what it means to follow Jesus is not something muted. Uh, In fact, and actually funny enough, Adam made reference to this in the opening reflection, is we are all people who 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 worship. And that's a hard thing for any of us who are are secularists, who are humanists, who are here to believe that you worship anything. Uh, But David Foster Wallace, in one of his famous lectures, he says this. It's a bit of a long quote, so try to stay with me. Again, I apologize, it's not on the screen. He says, because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess, or the Four Noble Truths, or so some inviolable sense of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Really hopeful. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. The whole truth, the whole trick, I'm sorry, is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. We will worship something. And the key is getting the right thing to worship up front and then orienting yourself around it. So before anything else, when we talk about the radical pursuit of of something, of some noble ideal or some good thing, what is that thing? It sounds really basic, but like what is the vision? We need to re-educate if we're here and followers of Jesus. We, we want to be, what? Followers of Jesus. And to be a follower of Jesus means to reorient all our vision and all our desire and all our passion around a central thing. We have to have a clear vision of the right thing. And, and for Paul, what we read in this, this text, Paul has this, we need to have a personal encounter to kind of fully understand and appreciate this vision, a personal encounter It wasn't till Paul heard his name on the road. Saul, Saul. It wasn't until he heard his name on the road. This is his moment of conversion. um, That that some transformation happened to him. And and we know through the text that he had heard of Jesus. We know know he's killing Christians. We know he had heard the gospel account, at least through the story of Stephen. 
And so right, uh, right away we have to acknowledge the fact that throughout Scripture there's first an encounter with Jesus that tends to reorient our passions and our desires towards that which is most true. They need to have a deeper encounter. He hears his name. So getting a vision is more than just intellectual um, uh, intellectual exercise. It's more than just reading a text. It's more than just learning more about the faith. I have seen some of the most just passionate, clearly focused followers of Jesus who know very little about apologetics theology. In fact, I sometimes find it's the folks that have immersed themselves in in the beauty of the Christian intellectual world, and I truly mean that, the beauty of it and the richness of it, that so often can lose sight of the encounter and everything becomes here and, it, and, and you lose all of a sudden um, this connection to Jesus. Getting a vision is a deeper encounter with Jesus. And church isn't necessarily the answer. We have to be people who slow down and stop. I will say this, if Paul would have been somebody as a Pharisee, and this is projection for sure, or conjecture. But as he is trying to, he, he would be somebody who is seeking the truth. He'd be somebody who would be turning to, the, to God and going, God, I want to know you. I want to understand. I want to understand who you are. This is before he came to know Jesus. And we see Jesus actually having this encounter with him. In Hebrews uh, 11, it talks about we need to make every effort to enter into the rest of God. Uh, so that we can be affected by God's word. There's a sense of we need to stop. We need to slow down. We need to be open. At the reorientation of your desire will only happen when you still the desires of the world. The reorientation of your desire will only happen when you are still and you are open. And I say all this because if we're to be people of vision, if this is the first thing that what it looks like to radically pursue the way of God, to be life raisers in a culture of death, and we need to have a clear vision of what we're rallying around, some of us need to have an actual encounter with God. And that's not something we can drum up, but, but what this text tells us, I know I'm like firing through these texts here, but what this, this scripture tells us and what I've experienced in my own life is when I actually am slowing down long enough, God is faithful every time. He says, seek me, just be, be open. We say this phrase all the time, and I'll probably say this till the day I die when we are preaching, when I'm preaching, is, is it's not myself who is distant. Or sorry, it's not God who is distant, but it's me. It's never God who is far off. It's, it's me. It, it's not a question of whether God's running up the road. It's not a question of whether God cares. It's not a question of God's presence. It's a question of my posture, my openness, and my orientation. And so for Paul, it wasn't just hearing the good news. It was a deep and personal encounter. And are we people who are actually first and foremost when we talk about the radical pursuit of God, even interested in, in trusting and being open that God may have a word for us. So the first one, vision. God doesn't want to mute your desire. He wants to reorient your desires towards that which will ultimately fulfill our hearts. I knew a lot about Jesus most of my life. And it was not, it was not till I truly learned how, and this is just even in like high school, going to this summer camp, actually just before high school, junior high, going to this summer camp, which I talk about all the time, and just having an experience where I actually felt myself slow down enough to listen and hearing God speak to my heart for the first time, and at least in a way as a more of an adult, and that sounds weird to think of yourself as an adult in junior high, 
but it really was the first time that it wasn't just this larger sense of feeling love that I had had since I was a kid of trusting, trusting something about who God was, but it was this deeply personal encounter that, that really shifted everything. I can go back to that experience and it's deeply personal, so I'm, I'm not gonna share it with you. That's okay. Um, <laughs> that was just really, really just pivotal for me. So the second principle then, it would be passion. Vision unleashes passion. So when we talk about the radical pursuit of God, we need to have a clear vision and vision always unleashes, unleashes passion. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection Talks, I want to take hold of it. So passion sometimes gets relegated to like my sexual feelings towards my like significant other. Passion sometimes gets relegated to like whatever piece of music or whiskey or coffee I'm into right now. Passion can get relegated uh, to just whatever hobby or craft. And all those things are, it's more like emotion based and it's part of what passion is. Um, but a proper definition of passion would be the 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 distance that you're willing to endure or the difficult, sorry, the difficulty you're willing to endure to accomplish the goal. The value of the possession is seen in the intensity of the pursuit. So we, to, for passion, this is why even the, the cross to the resurrection is called the passion in the Christian um, world. This is the, 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 the difficulty you're willing to endure for the sake of, to accomplish the goal. When we've heard God speak and when we've gotten the vision and an encounter with God, it enables us to press in. We are not, and I want you to hear this, we are not as a church called to passivity in the Christian life. We are in no way called to passivity. All over the Bible you see pressing in and you see passion I honestly think the verse for our, I just noticed at least for our community that I, I, I pick up all the time, and I mean this with all the grace and love I can muster, but is like, should I keep on sending so grace will increase? You know, like, yes, yes, God loves you. Yes, God's for you. And we need to hear that message on a regular basis to be reminded of that. But God is then not calling us to a life of passivity, but of pressing into that reality and living out of that unbelievably deep well, the deepest of wells, Paul says. We are not called to passivity. Jesus says, repent. He's calling us to repent, to turn around for the kingdom of God is at hand. Over and over, Jesus is saying throughout the New Testament, who wants in? Like, who wants in? Like, the kingdom is here. He doesn't shove the kingdom down anyone's throats. He's like, do you want to know what the rule and reign of God look like? Do you want to know what ultimate peace and beauty and joy look like? Come here. I'm here. I've made myself available. It's all grace, baby. I'm here. Without the baby part. I like to think Jesus had a little bit of swagger. And you see this all throughout the New Testament. We actually told a few of these stories. I just want to remind you from last week. One, you know, the woman who is unclean in the New Testament. And she, so she, she's, she has this, she's bleeding. She, she would have been ostracized from the community because of it. And she's pressing in because she's heard rumors that Jesus can heal. No one else in this account is healed. It's her. She goes, he has what I need and I know I need to get a hold of him. He has what I need. Or the four friends. 
who lower their, their buddy down through the roof. You remember this story? We talked about this last week. So they have this sick friend who, who needs healing. And Jesus is in a house. Nobody can get in. There's no way in. Some of you are wired like this. You are this like passionate and creative. I can see a few of you like, all right, how are we going to do this? We got to get our friend to Jesus. There's a lot of people in there. Sometimes I think it's like kind of a little selfish. But whatever. They clearly were the ones pressing in. And Jesus honors it. Jesus isn't like, you selfish people cutting the line. Like they didn't just cut the line or try to, you know when you're at a show and that person kind of like wiggles by you and they're like, oh, my friend, my friends are up there. You know what I'm talking about? At a concert right in the front row. I'm the worst. I'm the person who like, like leans in. Like I, can, I know they're coming and I know they have like three people behind them. And I just kind of do the like, mm, <laughs> I hate just like a nice little loving elbow to the, no? No, anyone else have anger problems? <laughs> Cool. Justice issues around people coming to the stage. Ah, oh, it drives me mad. Anyway, they don't even press in. They're like, ah, forget that. It'd be like, you know, we're at Lupo's and we're watching the show. And like, I need to get on stage. All right, we're going to scale Lupo's. We're going to drop my buddy down. I don't know what's going to happen then. But <laughs> this is what's happening in this story. They press in. They want to get a hold of Jesus. I love it. They weren't content to say there are too many people here. They weren't content to say there are too many people. Jesus says, seek first, ask, knock, and the door will be open. God, Dallas Willard says this, God is not opposed to our effort. He's simply opposed to our earning. So this isn't like a, you gotta work really hard to get God to love you. No, God's not, God is totally opposed. You get to earn nothing. You are loved exactly where you're at. If you're here and you're like, I don't even know what this dude's talking about. Like, that's okay. Please know that the God of the universe, this is the Christian and solely the Christian story that actually believes you are loved exactly where you're at. Exactly how you are. That God is for you. And all you need to simply do is trust that reality of what he has done for you on the cross. Like, that's the Christian story in, in, in part. God's, not a, God's totally opposed to our earning, but he's not opposed to our effort. He goes, in light of that, seek the best things. In light of that, seek me out. In light of that, recognize that you still have walls up and barriers and issues and stigmas and apathy and, and whatever else is crowding around you. And he seek me and you will find. It's like a holy, holy discontent. Our hunger needs to be that I don't want to live a mediocre, a mediocre a mediocre life. I don't want to go to the grave with a Bible full of promises. I don't want to do, I don't want to wind up at the end of my life going, there are all these promises that God said we could lean into. And this doesn't need to be the sensational. Sometimes people immediately bend these sorts of talks into like career and starting new ministries. And that could totally be it. And there need to be radical changes in your life or radical shifts of what it means to pursue God. But for a lot of us, it just means like, I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize I wasn't radically seeking God for my children. I, I mean, I wasn't asking God day to day what it meant to raise life in the, in the details of my life. I, I'll never forget, never forget sitting with this older couple um, who uh, were a part of the church that we were sent from and hearing them tell the most on the one hand, mundane, and on the other hand, like Mother Teresa-like story. Just recounting just a few of the highlights. 
And they were like, oh, yeah, that was, and they, they finished this whole story of like, yeah, so we had the neighbors next door, and we started inviting them over and realized they were going through this, and we prayed for them, and there was this really amazing healing. And, and like, no big deal, like, we were having tea, and then we, you know, we healed this person, and it was great. You know, and then we started getting involved, and, and God blessed us with this job, and we were able to give more than we thought, and I was able to start this really cool ministry. We still get updates from them 40 years later, this ministry that we were able to start because we were came into some serious money and were able to give it. And just these like little pocket stories that like all of a sudden you realize at the end of it, you're like, oh wow, like what what a rich, what a rich life. And I remember saying to them, what a what an unbelievable story of your faithfulness throughout your life. And Elspeth turns to me, she's like, oh no, no, no. That was just like 78. Like that was just 1970. That was just one year. And it's just like, yeah, there was nothing. It's like on the one hand, there's nothing radical about these days. And on the other hand, it was the radical pursuit of God in the day-to-day that led to a life where I, I, I would speak for them and just saying they look back and they look back at the opportunities that, that God had placed in front of them and the way that they radically pursued what God had. The way they were able to raise life because they were pursuing the ways of Jesus. They were radically seeking the promises that God had put down. They were going to go to their grave holding their Bible and going like, yeah, we took hold of many of the promises that, that God gave to us and it gives to all of us. So back to Paul. He's like, I haven't had it all yet. I haven't reached my goal. He says, I haven't attained everything. And I think for us, we need to hear this because here's somebody who gets elevated, St. Paul, naturally, who, who's, done all this incredible, incredible work and he's going, I haven't fulfilled everything I need to do. I haven't accomplished everything God's called me to accomplish. And and if you're here and if you've fulfilled your destiny and if you've fulfilled every dream that God has ever had for you and everything that you know is, is of God that God's put in your heart, like awesome, sweet, truly. For the rest of us, I think that we live a life that we continue to be open and cry out for more. God, what do you have for us? What is, what is the next thing? He says to take a hold. Paul uses the language to take hold of Christ. Even this term in the Greek is, is like tackling someone to the ground. Like I take hold of Jesus. It's like I want more of you. I want what you have for me, Jesus. So you get vision that releases passion in your life. And so my third thing would be passion requires discipline. And this is the one that is like tough. So we get this vision of who Jesus is and we want to orient our life around the right things. And that should produce in us a passion to seek the things of Jesus. And in that, in the wake of that, then how do we actually discipline ourselves? Because passion without discipline is unfocused and flipping messy messy. He says, brothers and sisters, I press on to win the prize. He talks about keeping your eyes on those who live as I do. I want to keep my eyes on the prize. I want to surround myself with the right sorts of people who imitate in the faith. I will have the kind of impact. If you follow immature people, if you follow immature people or people with immature expressions of the faith, don't be surprised if that's how you end up turning out. If, If for you, you keep your faith at a very, very surface level, if it becomes something where I show up, I confess, like, yeah, I remind myself, yeah, I know I'm broken, okay. And then I, I, I kind of repeat this cycle. 
And I'm not actually uh, surrounding myself and embedding myself in the regular rhythms and disciplines of the way of Jesus. It will be very difficult to radically pursue God. Remember, Paul was a murderer. And so he has to put this stuff like out of his mind. Like he, he create, you see this in the New Testament of creating rhythms of moving on, of disciplines, uh, of positioning yourself where you are forgetting what is behind he could have easily fallen back into the shame and guilt of everything he had done, but he pushes forward. Some of you think that your sin, whatever it is, disqualifies you from being used by God. Some of you think you're a sexual sin. Some of you think you're a lying habit. Some of you think the fact that you did this or you've fallen apart in this way or this thing is like completely caved underneath you or you've always been this shallow. Whatever voices you have, however real or however made up, we so often think this disqualifies you and actually that just makes you more of a candidate for the way of Jesus because you're more attentive to the things that need to die and that you would be raised to life. It's the arrogant, apathetic, and despondent among us that really will have a hard time engaging the way of Jesus. You're the ones who have it much harder. Press on and focus. Our past and our success doesn't define us and we need to be people that allow those things to enter in. Like we create disciplines on our life to remind ourselves of that. Second Timothy 2 says this. You then, thank you guys have been really patient. I know I'm going through a lot of material here. You doing okay? Yeah, awesome. Second Timothy 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses... And trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Timothy is saying, join with me in suffering. There's this brokenness that's happening to the community. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. If there's a mission, don't get entangled in anything outside the mission. But rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into this. So I've reflected on your behalf, and I have a few insights. <sighs> Under this guise of discipline... Discipline has to do with what you focus on. So in the same way we, we just talked about, we need to focus on who we're becoming, not on our sin. Another huge place, I think, for a lot of us, the discipline in, in, in figuring out what we need to focus on is, is recognizing that when we think about the vision of our life and the passion and then what fuels us on a day-to-day, -day, we can't act like the, the irrelevant media surface world that gets thrown at us, even the good things, like the great art and how wonderful Mad Men is, it becomes like this domineering mantra, or actually kind of subtle, that ends up domineering our consciousness and our vision. Endless, I mean, I, would, I guess I would sum up our media intake as what Timothy says, an endless cycle of irrelevant civilian affairs. We know that's not enough. We know, like, the, the, the weird, disconnected world of People Magazine and of, I'll just, you know, redecorate one more time to make myself feel better as I'm getting more bored as a person. Or I'll just, 
Um, that's not a slam against interior decorators, by the way. Um, but these things that we end up doing to distract ourselves or to get caught up in things that are not of most importance, they, they kill us. And we know that that's not enough. Human history has told us this. Human history has told us that the seeking of pleasure will eventually kill you. And even though we are, many of us are young folks full of vision in life, uh, it all ends the same way. If we don't become people who are radically pursuing the way of Jesus and are disciplining ourselves to look towards an ultimate goal, we have a high holy calling and we spend too much of our life on Netflix. Amen. I know that one was kind of close to the bone. Sorry. I'm, I'm right there with you. We have a high holy calling. I was talking to a friend of mine um, yesterday, uh, and he was just mentioning, I was saying how hard it is to preach every day, every week. And he's like, I can't even imagine you being able to preach every week or having to preach every week. I mean, just praying for your congregation, like on a regular basis, like that's a full-time job. And I didn't say this to him at the moment, but I thought like, oh yeah, that really should be a full-time job. So I'd like to publicly apologize to all of you. I don't pray for you enough. I'm serious. Uh, And so often I get caught up, even in like there's like a pastor version of civilian affairs for sure. We get caught up in things and we end up being disqualified because the formation of our character is not something we end up leaning into. We need to have a vision of the long game. He talks about a farmer, a hardworking farmer. Do we have a picture of the whole of our life? Things don't go on. Like things don't happen overnight. Paul didn't all of a sudden become like super Christian, like amazing, loving, generous, beautiful man. Like, no, this is like years and years later. We need to have a whole vision of our life. Hebrews 6 says, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Do we have a vision bigger than just the weekend? Do we have a vision bigger than just this year of my life? Vision than just this cycle? Are we looking far out? Are we training ourselves and disciplining ourselves that we might become all that God has had and to take hold of his promises? 1 Corinthians 9, one of my favorite passages ever about discipline. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You aren't gonna live this way unless you have a vision and passion that God has a destiny for you and that it's wrapped up in Jesus and that nothing else will satisfy. This vision is one of, there are all sorts of great things to strive for. You being excellent in your career, that's a great and beautiful and God-honoring thing. You being excellent and doing a really great job at home life and, and all these things, these are all tied up. But there's an ultimate thing that we are aiming at. And so many of us who are absolutely killer at training our bodies, we have some of the brightest like, minds currently and future like, in this room. Like, I, I mean, I've met some of you. I know your credentials. I know how hard you fought to get to Brown or RISD. I know how hard you got to get that job to get to where you are. I know some of you as parents have just like, you are like, 
maybe you should be the one on the Oprah network, like telling people how to parent their kids. Like you have read every book and you have, and when, I, when I've had conversations with some of you, and I know this just in general, this has been seasons of my life, our souls are atrophying. And so there's these things that are good and beautiful, but they're not the ultimate thing. And then all of a sudden it will, I guarantee it, catch up to you. And we all of a sudden will look back and go, I didn't take hold of the promises that God had for me. And so lastly, I know I'm going a little long today. Last one is risk. Vision leads to passion and we need to be people of discipline to channel this passion, regular rhythms. What does that look like for each one of us to do that? And then there's this element of risk. It goes, have you not, uh, you have to learn to take action on the doors that God actually opens. He says, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. We have to be people who actually step through the door. Actually people who will go, all right, I'm gonna have faith to walk in this way. Or else the trajectory of our life still ends up looking so much like the rest of the world. Like I meet somebody, it's pretty nice. We get married. I think it's going to make me happy. I realize not completely. So we have a pretty good marriage. I get bored in middle age. I pick up some good hobbies. We have grandkids. It's really nice for a season, and I die. I know I'm really chipper today. I told you I was sick for three days. And again, this isn't about creating monumental, sensational things, though many of you God will call to, to maybe larger public things, but it's, it's what in that regular rhythm and discipline of life, what does it look like to be people who take hold of the promises of God? We have to risk our habits and actually be a part of community and be known and confess our sins and, and connect. We have to risk our, our, our hope. We have to be people who are willing to say, despite the circumstances, I know that God is at work here. We have to risk and we have to actually inconvenience ourselves for the sake of something better. God is not interested in just random Christians like living this out. He wants a body. He wants a community. We do all this home group stuff. You got this card when you came in about Alpha. These are all our home groups just hosting like a six-week exploring God class every other week. Be there. Like just come. You can make the time. Even if you don't feel like you need like a refresher, then bring somebody who does. Invite them. Just be in the presence of others, like having a meal and having a spiritual conversation about something beyond just your hobby today. Just carve out a little bit of time. Maybe for some of us, that's just the first step. Like, just, just, just come. Like, we have to be entrenched and a part of community. The radical pursuit of God happened in community. And they were sharing their possessions, we're told. And they were generous and they were caring for the poor and they were loving and encouraging one another and spurring one another on to good works and pushing each other in their creativity and pushing one another and coming alongside. The vision of what our community can be is so much more than just what we have here. Our church was launched in radical pursuit to see the fame and deeds of God known in our time. And this is lovely. And you are lovely. And I'm all right. But this is not as good as it gets. It's not. There's so much more for us. I believe that God's opening something for us in our city. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, please know when we talk about the radical pursuit of God, we are at the core of things, to maybe put it in just language that would be helpful for you, we are about the radical pursuit of what we believe love is in its most pure form. An outpost of love, an outpost of heaven, an outpost of peace. 
And so for the rest of us, we want to be people who are actually modeling and living into this, that this verse that has marked the beginning of our community. Like, God, I've heard of your fame. Like, I stand in awe of your deeds. Like, renew it in our day, in our time, Lord, we want to see your way. So God invites everyone, but God is specifically inviting each one of us to things that, that maybe we haven't been attentive to. So I want to invite the, the band up, and we're going to spend some time just, I want to pray for those who are interested in, in maybe taking a moment now and renewing, um, renewing their desire, recommitting their desire to, 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 to pursue God. To say, maybe for some of us, God, I need a fresh encounter. I need a fresh vision. Some of us who aren't followers of Jesus, like, I'd, I'd love to believe what that dude's talking about. Maybe I, I just, I, I love a vision. Maybe just to take a moment now to stop and reflect and be attentive. For some of us, uh, we've had that encounter and we've stifled our passion. We've actually stifled the, all of the beautiful and powerful and glorious overflow and joy that comes from believing that the God of the universe, that the love and logic behind everything is for you. And for some of us, it's discipline. Maybe you're like, you're the most passionate person out there. You're the first person with like hands raised. You're like the first person serving the poor when there's a call. But there's no discipline. There's no regular rhythm of being in community with people. Of, there's no regular rhythm of, of, um, of channeling and this, this glorious reality into the specifics and day-to-day of your life. And so you're living sort of untethered. It's like beautiful, but it's just a mess. God wants something more for us. Beating our body into submission, being focused in the things that God's called us to. And then for some of us, yeah, we're doing all great with that, but we just don't want to risk. We don't want to step out, whatever that means for you. To risk that move, to risk that 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 action, to risk that um, donation, to risk that um, shifting of, of whatever it may be. I don't know. To to risk loving that enemy, to risk coming alongside that person, to risk rearranging our day that we might be more attentive and aware than ever of what God has for us. So I, I want to invite us. Um, I'm not going to do anything crazy. Like, you don't need to stand or anything. Maybe just put your hands in your lap and open up your palms. If, if, you're, if you want to say this morning, I would like to just hit refresh, recommit to, to pursuing you more, God. I want to be more attentive to that. And sometimes just the physical posture of doing that can be a really beautiful thing. Let me pray for us. As we're about to sing, Lord, we, um, many of us trust that all our hope is in you. That you're our refuge. You're our strength. You are the, the life raiser. And so as people who want to uh, be these people of life, to be people of resurrection, to be Easter people in a Good Friday world. To instead of raising apathy or raising the status quo or raising death, we, 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 want, to, we want to raise life. We, we want to see heaven come more and more and more 
in the everyday. And so, Lord, we, those of us who have our palms open, we, we want to, to, to say, please, we want to receive from you an encounter with you, Lord. We want our passions for some of us to be renewed and refilled. For some of us, Lord, we need insight um, and, and just the strength to be disciplined and just our, our, our devotion, our time. And some of us need to risk. Some of us, we know exactly what God's calling us to and may we risk. Give us wisdom. Give us clarity. And may we be a community, Lord, marked by the radical pursuit of you.